Hi, this is Hava with Stop Blaming Avocados, the podcast that is breaking from tradition and working to inspire a more human-first approach to community and organization. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with a friend and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, so today I am joined by Katherine Smith. Katherine is an organizational psychologist and executive coach on a mission to help a new generation of leaders build more humane organizations. After more than 15 years working closely with nonprofit and corporate leaders designing large-scale change initiatives, Catherine stepped away to launch Mountain Valley Coaching to help type A professionals stop chasing success by prioritizing their higher purpose, avoid burnout by redesigning their relationship with work, phase out fear-based cultures by practicing positive leadership, and overcome resistance by co-creating work with their people. Her unique approach integrates her organizational expertise, her studies of adult learning, creativity, and positive psychology at Columbia University, and a variety of therapeutic techniques that help her clients elevate themselves and their organizations. She currently resides in the sunniest patch of the Pacific Northwest, Bend, Oregon, with her husband, their two kids, and their dog, Quint. Hello. Welcome. I loved that introduction, uh, a bio. It is so good to be with you, Hava. That is, I, it's, it's funny having your bio said aloud. But yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it truly, it really, it really, really is. Um. But it's it's great because I think that a couple of things that we're really going to touch on in these conversations is really talking about fear-based culture and the conditioning that we've had around. And I mean, burnout is just this thing that I think we're just all constantly on this low battery mode right now. And there's so much for us to talk about. I'm really so thankful and excited to have you here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. And then... Before we start, I recently did this exercise with a guest, Kimfer, and I loved it. And so I think I'm going to start integrating into some of my episodes and wanted to do it again if you're open to it. Totally. So it's just describing our appearance today. Since no one can see us, I can totally start. So honestly, I'm in a workout tank top. My hair is in a messy bun and I'm wearing a cardigan. And I have green eyes, blonde hair, but normally my hair might be down with like curly wavy hair, but I have these huge headphones on my head. So it's, it's tied up into a messy one. Great. Uh, let's see. I, well, it's a, it's a Friday morning. And so I am, I'm in my home office wearing, let's see, this is a Patagonia dress. It's just a black Patagonia dress, like my lazy summer clothing. And I am presently barefoot because it's a Friday morning and we're, we're about to get like an 80 degree weekend here in Bend. So keeping it super simple. I have blonde hair to my shoulders and like blue gray eyes. And let's see. Um, and I have no makeup on today at all. Oh, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a nose stud, which. <laughs> yeah. 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 I noticed. I'm like, I saw you have one too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that was such a cool exercise to do because I realized that like nobody sees us. We see each other, but no one else sees us. And I am a very visual learner. And whenever I'm reading a book, I'm always imagining what mm. the what the people look like in the book. And I was listening to a podcast recently, and I also realized I was listening to this podcast for a while. It's called Talk Psych to Me, and it's 
this couple, husband, wife duo. And I just felt like I knew them, like we could be having a conversation. I was like, I I have no idea what these people look like, but I imagine them all the time. And so then I looked them up and I was like, nice to put a face to it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that you, you know, that I, I like integrating that. So um gosh summer I can't believe we're talking about summer I'm so excited um before I dive you know too deep into a hole about talking about summer and how excited I am about that make sure we actually talk about the episode (laughs) so I'm looking forward to it for many reasons we're gonna cover a couple topics today for our listeners and they really evolved from a conversation that we had Mm -hmm. uh, about a week a couple weeks ago about work and about how we've been conditioned for many years, I guess depending also how many years of experience we have, but conditioned to to view success and leadership and work versus what success and leadership can actually look like for individuals and really evolving from that what our approach to work can be and then we're going to talk a little bit more about a little bit about the importance of ritual. And I'm not going to jump into that yet because I love talking rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've left this conversation pretty open-ended. There's a lot that we can talk about learnings and from your experience and anecdotes from, you know, clients you've worked with and coaching you've done. And so I'm very excited to let the conversation kind of naturally evolve. But to kick things off, I'd love to talk about conditioning because when I say that word, I don't necessarily know if everyone who's listening might understand what we're what we're talking about with conditioning uh-huh. or and even starting with, you know, what is the conditioning of what has success looked like? What has leadership looked like? What is that conditioning? Um, and you might be able to even integrate a little bit talking about like fear-based cultures and yeah. You know, all of that. So let's dive in right there. Totally. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I think I think this is a really powerful place to start in part because it's it actually is a big foundational piece of the way I work with clients. And it's sort of what I felt like was being was challenging for me at the end of sort of my corporate career because there was very little acknowledgement around sort of, of what people were going through, how cultures are experienced, and sort of how people experience their jobs and experience their interactions with leadership and kind of what we assume is normal. And sometimes when you work in an organization or you work in an industry for a really long time, you just think that's normal and it takes leaving or making some change or transition to become increasingly aware of like, oh my gosh, this could, could this be done differently? So that's kind of my wheelhouse. I love that space. And I think it's imperative both for individuals to be increasingly aware of their, some of their conditioning. That's true for the one-on-one, one-on-one work I do with my clients. Um, but I think it's also a really healthy exercise for teams to go through and organizations occasionally to just like check in and be like, what are we doing or what are we sort of assuming, believing, taking for granted? How are we operating almost at an unconscious level? Because that's kind of where conditioning lives, right? So my practice sort of evolved out of really spending a long time working with corporate clients, leading people in change initiatives and working with executive teams. And I started to really struggle with some 
fear-based leadership behaviors that I was encountering. And I think I was watching a lot of employees struggle with it too. And the assumption was like my emotional well-being sort of is taken for granted or kind of doesn't matter here. And so, you know, big change programs are being pushed through almost at the expense of employees. And so I kind of wanted to look at like, what is the conditioning of the leaders who are at the helm of change? You know, the folks who are in charge, either because they want the change or they don't want the change. What is some of their conditioning in terms of like their relationship to it, how they lead, how they show up for their people? And I wanted to be able to have a conversation with them that was frankly more intimate. I think that's kind of where some of this stuff lives as far as conditioning. It's like a very intimate personal conversation. Some of my conditioning, I think, is important to acknowledge too. Um, Hava, I call myself like a recovering hyperachiever. And I know that like some people don't, I don't know if that title or label resonates for other people, but I like, I came from a super driven, like dual degree Ivy League, New York City background. And it took me a long time to realize that there were aspects of it that were like pretty detrimental to me. So that was sort of where I broke with some of my conditioning when I started to realize some of that and see other people struggling with it too. Yeah, the the idea of like push, push, push no matter what. Yeah. Um, rest is weak, hustle culture, needing to never stop, mm-hmm. uh, success at all, you know, at all in any cost, which success is another thing that we're like, well, what is what is success really? leadership, looking at fear-based leadership, perhaps not being able to speak up, not setting boundaries, you know, having to be on all hours of the day, looking at work as like, well, that's everything you do, 80 hours a week, maybe don't take vacations, don't take personal days, looking at the way that you do work too, as being, you know, extremely competitive, again, kind of at all, at any cost. And Certainly not looking at there necessarily being, a, I think, a responsibility from the leadership or organization or employer side of making sure that they're actually taking care of employees. Like thinking about the people first. We're more like, again, kind of looking at like, well, profit's the bottom line or salary's the bottom line or the title or whatever that may, might be. So I just rambled off like several, I think, several different types of conditioning that I think a lot of us have... have grown up with, I remember growing up and thinking I needed to be in business and I had to go to B school because that is where success would live. You would go to B school, you would, you know, become, well, I switched from marketing to accounting to finance, back to marketing, to international business. (laughs) <laughs> so, but most people choose some sort of route of, okay, I'm going to go into finance and then I'm going to go work on Wall Street and I'm going to work my way up the ladder and I need to get that corner office and I need to get that C-level title and I need to do that all by the time I'm 30. But I also need to have a life and perhaps find a partner and perhaps have children, which I know that that that's something I think that has evolved over the past few years, but that's what I grew up with, I think, in the terms of conditioning. But we're breaking down all of that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can add, like, there's, there's like the conditioning of the self. So when I think about it through the lens of organizational psychology, like whether it's a self as employee or self as an executive leader, mm-hmm. like you touched on a bunch of things, which I think are really important. We have conditioned beliefs. We have conditioned ways of working and we have conditioned like unconscious habits of how we interact with people and just like our sort of social intelligence, that kind of stuff. It's all, it's all conditioning. 
And something that I've noticed a lot, and this applies both, like, no matter where anyone is over the course of their career or whether they are high or low within the org org chart, there's also this additional layer of conditioning that comes with how was professionalism, work ethic, and leadership modeled for you Mm. all those years ago. So I think it's important to acknowledge that, like, we are all these sort of, like, we're these bubbly ecosystems all the time, every day at work that are bumping into each other, our beliefs, our habits, our social intelligence, and all of our sort of like old programming around like what it means to be good at work kind of thing. So I think we have, uh, individuals have that. And then even, you know, I don't care what level anyone is in an organization, like executives have it too. And they're trying to figure that stuff out as well. And then of course you add the complexity of bringing people together on teams and that's six, eight, 10 people sitting around a table and all of that's in the room. So recognizing the conditioning we bring and being more transparent about it is exactly this like moment that we're in in terms of the culture of work and change and and sort of new leadership paradigms to start to realize like there are categories of this stuff. We can talk about it. It's actually really important to talk about it and that we all have it no matter where we sit. That's a really good point. And it reminds me, we each have our individual lived experiences. And so, and we each obviously have come from very, there's similarities in where we've come from, and there's a lot of differences where we come from. And I think one thing that folks are struggling with right now is, okay, so past three-ish years in particular, I mean, there's been a movement, I think, for a while to redefine what work is, but it really got shaken up during the pandemic, let's be honest, right? Yeah, Especially with so much of work moving from a lot of in-office to a lot of remote. Now we've got this like pull and push between hybrid or remote or in-person and all these different things. So really, really, I think we supercharged this discussion on the future of work and how we look at things. Now, thinking about that, there is so much reflection that is going on. And what you said about acknowledging what people go through, acknowledging that we all have different live experiences... We're also going through individually trying to break down what conditioning we we want to carry forward. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Carry forward. And what do we need to let go of? Mm-hmm. And that also is very individual too. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. Uh, of like what you decide is good for your personal success or your personal well-being And what you're like, that doesn't serve me anymore. And I don't want to be in an environment there. Can we talk a little bit about at the individual level, someone who is perhaps realizing and perhaps even maybe your own experience, right? Of what am I carrying forward and what am I letting go? And what were some of the examples there? I want to kind of evolve that into talking about success and for individuals because so much of our conditioning also speaks to what we think success is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I talked a little bit about like the beliefs, um, Mm -hmm. the work habits we have, and some of our sort of social intelligence. And that can include like how we communicate, how we resolve conflict, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that. And then, of course, all of that is shaped by everything that was modeled for us way back when, you know, whether that's former bosses or parents or whatnot. 
So one of the things I do with clients early on is sort of understanding their career story in chapters, right? The highs and the lows. It tends to surface some of these things. It tends to shine a light on their beliefs. It tends to shine a light on how they have habitually worked. And it tends to shine a light on sort of how they've interacted with other people successfully or unsuccessfully, right? And like where that came from. So I find it really, really helpful when we're looking at that, when an individual is at that moment of assessing what's serving me, what am I going to carry forward and what am I going to let go, to kind of audit like where they've come from. Where did this stuff with this accumulation of habits, beliefs, and behaviors all begin? So that's something that I do with every single client. And as we're talking about this, it occurs to me that a couple of years ago, I was working with a client who, like we uncovered some really fascinating stuff just around habitual beliefs that were very, very, very much informed by like the dynamics in their family, like what it means to be good, what it means to add value when you speak, when you don't speak, how you engage in conflict, how you challenge authority, all of those structures this this client in particular like came from a really big family. And of course, like all that stuff shows up in their upbringing and they carry that forward into their earliest career experiences. So I think like realizing some of our like family story brings into, you know, can inform our leadership. We want to carry forward or leave behind. In particular, I'd say like what I see most often with clients is actually around the social intelligence and the the sort of definition of like what is good or not good especially around like hyperachiever types, there's a pretty strong narrative that starts multiple generations back around like what good work is and in terms Mm. of what has respect or what has value. And so when you bring all that into organizations, it gets pretty amplified. You know, if an executive goes through this type of work and they discover that like, oh my gosh, my relationship to conflict is heavily, heavily, heavily informed by the fact that I was like the younger brother. (laughs) That kind of thing. It can be very revealing and they can show up going forward and say, carrying forward, I'm not going to show up like the younger brother. I don't want to carry forward this belief that I'm like the, you know, the inferior younger brother. I'm going to be the blah, you know? So I think working on these beliefs, looking at these family structures and some of your like social intelligence can usually be revealed in those ways. So this client in particular came from a really big family, talking about birth order, we talked about authority, and it shows up in those ways and they can sort of start to parse out and identify like, what's worked for them, and what no longer feels good. I think another thing that I notice a lot with clients in particular around work ethic especially is we, in our earliest years of our careers, are conditioned to think that like showing up and working and being productive, literally producing work and being visible for like 20 years was the norm to say, this is good work. That's a good worker, someone who does that, who goes to all the meetings, responds to all the emails and does all the things. I see this with clients all the time, especially as they're rising into leadership and realizing they cannot sustain that volume of work where everything's important and they do all the things. So when they are faced with this question of what do I carry forward and what do I let go of, usually looking at their schedule is a really important place to look to say like, if I only have so many hours in the day and I want to be an impactful executive, I have to let go of some things. So looking at work habits from your early 20s into your 30s, maybe into your 40s, I see a lot of people discovering that their work habits are no longer serving them. And that actually is like independent of like the last three years. It just sort of like was forced to the surface in the last couple of years. But I actually think it's probably more connected to maturity, rising into leadership and just capacity management. Yeah. So the first thought that you were explaining around 
looking at their story. So looking at their family, looking at their colleagues, their work experiences, and and really the the influences that you've had over the course of your life that shape how you work are so substantial and they're also so culturally based. But when we also think about culture, which is potentially a whole other conversation, we there's the culture, our family culture, like what we grew up in. And then there's like the schooling culture where you went to school and your peers and maybe even what your friend's parents did and how they work. And then you go to college and you're constantly like walking in and out of all of these different cultures. And then you have your work culture. Work culture is fascinating because you have potentially hundreds, thousands, whoever, however many people, and they all have their own cultures that they walk in and out of every day. So thinking about that, I started thinking about my own experiences of who did I look up to in work and what did they do? And so how have I been conditioned to look at success in work? And then when you went into talking about what we look at, like in in, in our 20s, or, you know, when we're entering into the workforce, that is so influential on us because there's also part of us, I think, when you're in your early 20s where you're like, I can do it all and I can figure it all out and I'm a sponge and I'm going to keep learning. But you also are looking at folks who have been in their careers for many years and you see one story. You aren't seeing everything behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing perhaps this vision of what you have, again, been conditioned to view as success for the past 20-something years of your life. And you're viewing them as like, wow, they work a billion hours a week. And maybe they also say that they do yoga five times a week and they wake up at 5 a.m. and they do all of these things. And you're like, I got to do that too. Yeah. In fact, I think if we're, you know, when we talk about conditioning, it's like one thing to recognize sort of like where you're at, you know, what is stuff you bring to work and all of that. I think, and this is this speaks specifically just to the sort of demographic of the people that I work with. I think when people are mid-career rising into leadership, it's a really tricky moment to both recognize your look back and recognize the conditioning you bring. And then also, to your point, Hava, admire what appears to be habitual conditioning of the leaders above you. And actually, for a lot of clients that I've worked with right now in this particular, you know, season of, you know, the evolution of work and how everything's kind of scrambled, I know a lot of my clients will look up to the leaders and have sort of two responses. Um, one, my conditioning won't get me there. And then there's kind of like a, oh, crap moment. Like, how do I need to change? I guess I need to be more like them. Or there's another thing that's happening right now where I would say a lot of people rising, let's say, 30s, 40s, you know, up and coming leaders or already in leadership are saying like, what if I don't want to do it like that? What if I don't want that conditioning? Because that that just doesn't look like it's either relevant anymore or it looks a little bit out of touch or I frankly will just, I will burn out trying to get there. So I think that moment, this brings me back to, I love what you said earlier about like, what do I let go of? What do I carry forward? There is inevitably this really fertile period of time where I think people approaching or rising in their careers need to do some like editing almost of like, how is my conditioning serving me and how is it not? Knowing that the workforce is only getting more diverse, the complexity of the landscape of what we're doing, you know, the uncertainty of markets and the complexity of work is only increasing with technology that like the human side of this stuff is going to, it's going to matter a lot. And what our leaders 10 and 15 years from now look like are probably going to be pretty different 
than the leaders we look up to today. You know, yeah. their, their lists of life hacks, you know, all, all of those things. <laughs> In a moment of like, people are having to define it for themselves. And part of that is, you know, is figuring out what what works and what, what doesn't work anymore. You touched on such a number of different things. So one, I think one thing is there's got to be a lot of fear with whichever I mean, fear, maybe perhaps it's not necessarily it's fear, but just not knowing what is right or fear of what do I let go of. Whatever boat you're in, when you're in that stage in your career and you're looking up or you're looking forward and you're saying, okay, well, I really need to be more like this person or I don't want to be anything like these people. <laughs> yeah. Right? So like, but both of them are have to manifest similar feelings yep. of the unknown, right? <laughs> which which actually, I always think, you know, I probably sound like a broken record, but what I've learned in all the years that I've been doing this work, and I think it was like sort of what challenged me in some of my organizational consulting work was like, um, those decisions weren't being taken up by employees and there wasn't even room for employees to make those decisions around like, okay, what's my version going to be? Okay. There's a lot of like spoon feeding around like, this is what good leadership is. This is your program. This is this or this, you know. Think that there's value in all of it. There's always nuggets of value in in that kind of professional development, self-development work. But where I think there wasn't enough attention from my perspective was empowering individuals to figure out what their version is going to be. Yeah. And I I think that's sort of around this topic of like, you know, what is my self-leadership? Like, how will I lead myself through this uncertainty? How will I lead other, let alone others through this uncertainty? You know what I mean? whether that's at that scale of, you know, team or greater organization. So I do think you're, you're spot on that it always comes back to sort of like our individual authority to design what, what we think will work and what we can sustain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My goodness. And, and yes, even having, feeling like you have the authority to do that. That in itself, to me, when once you get that feeling of I have the authority to define what success and leadership looks like to me, that is success. I mean, that is a version of success. And that, that is something that can be really scary, I think, um, because you are stepping outside of line a little bit. Um, yeah. right. Yeah. And then you're like ordering off menu. Yeah, yeah, right. The secret menu that no one no, knows. But actually, I'm gonna have that. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh, completely. And then the other, <laughs> the other part that you were talking about of how this has been, you know, occurring well before kind of the past few years, and really has probably more to do with where you are in your career. That part's really interesting, and. Again, in the past years, perhaps a supercharged because when we were all at home, for example, we were forced to look at what we were doing and because there was nothing else to do. I mean, there's only so much Netflix you can watch. When you finish Netflix, I guess you have to do some self-reflection at some point. Yeah, I guess right? when we get to the end of Netflix, <laughs> then you're like, what do I do now? And you can't make any more bread and you can't do people. Um But there's been there's been so much reflection in, of what leadership sh- can look like and what work can look like in the future. And like you said, it's going to look so dramatically different in five years, 10 years, 15 years down the line. And gosh, who knows what 50 years down the line looks like. And we're seeing, I think, some of those changes happen now. 
I feel like I'm starting to have a lot more conversations and see on social media and see the books that are coming out about like rest. And actually, what is success in work for me? It's setting boundaries and making sure I get rest. Uh That is not something that ever was discussed like in my, you know, in, in, in my 20s or in like late 2000s, early, early 2010s. But now it's how do I have rest? How do I make sure that I set healthy boundaries? How do I not do it all? I think it's, there's a lot more conversation around that. How do I do really good work where um, I feel like I am paid well in my role? I feel like I'm accomplishing goals and challenges that I set out for myself. But I also feel like I have a life. I have good relationships with friends or family or partners. I feel like maybe I have hobbies. You know, success is also doing yoga three times a week or strength training or art or whatever it might be. I'm seeing so much more of that narrative right now that I think really is changing, albeit perhaps not at the pace we might want it, right? But it is changing leadership right now. And so these folks that are in that transitional period that you mentioned, like going, kind of moving into leadership now, I think they already have or have the opportunity to look at leadership and success in a completely different way just because of the conversations and the changes that we have made just in the past few years alone. What do you think? I completely agree. <laughs> I think the door has been kicked open. Okay, yeah. But something that I want to just kind of point out is um, I think the door has been kicked open and so there's permission to consider other ways of doing things. And I think that that's so valuable and that's obviously like, you know, that's a hallelujah moment from my standpoint. Yeah. Um, but I think it's quite another for individuals to then say, okay, so the door is open. It's still up to me. Like I still have to figure out what that is. And there's something so tempting about pulling that other book off the shelf that was like, oh, I guess I need a breath practice or, mm. or pulling that book off the shelf and be like, oh, so-and-so has a sleep routine. I guess I need to set my watch to a new sleep routine. And one can actually use old conditioning, apply old conditioning of what it is to be a good student or do like the right things and just kind of overdo it on some of these life hacks that they think are going to be like the unlock for them. And so one of the things I think is really important is to not necessarily just take everyone else's versions as like the way. Um, and some of the most elevated leaders that I've seen and that I've had the opportunity to work with are the ones who are like, oh, I think I'm going to take like 10% of this, 20% of that. I don't need any of that, you know, that kind of thing. So they're building their own definition of what sustainable, successful work includes rather than looking at sort of like the next trend in mm. sort of what is sexy leadership or what is the next exec, what is the, you know, that cool young, cool executive doing. I think that stuff's really important because I always come back to like, if, if your stressors and your conditioning is unique, your solutions need to be just as unique and, and as they are, you know, as you are an individual. It's not going to be someone else's solutions that help you get to that sense of success or fulfillment or you know, sustainable career. Yeah. Uh, So I think crafting a definition of success that is varied and informed by a lot of things, I think is so important, but making sure that any rising leader, anyone sort of in this moment of transition of like, what is my version going to be? 
sustainable work, compelling leadership? Will I have the capacity to be a positive influence or am I going to be so stressed trying to like handle all my life hacks that I like can't, I still can't show up for my team? Figuring out what your recipe or formula is, is still really, really important work. Like defining that for yourself is something that no one else can do for you because fear and burnout and all of this stuff is just so personal. Yeah, that's an excellent point. The individual experience, it's interesting because when you think about it, we want, we well, we've been conditioned to want quick fixes. Yeah. And we've been conditioned again to, you know, I mean, listen, we have social media and we have entertainment and we have what we experience in the workplace and what people show us. You know, obviously that's not the whole story, but um, that this is the way. You're at, yeah. This is, this is the just new way. you do this, you're yeah. going to be so much happier, which is really the old conditioning just redirected. Completely. And you mention it. Yes. And so you, you bringing up this idea of falling back into old conditioning. It's that sort of thing that we probably continuously over our lives have to check back in and be like, hey, wait, is this some of my old patterns sneaking back in? Is this what I want? Because it is very much a part of our society of wanting to find a quick fist because also it's comfortable. It's less scary that way. If you don't have to create something from completely anew, when we can actually look at like, well, they did X, Y, Z, and that was successful for them. So if I do X, Y, Z, it's got to be successful for me. Not necessarily understanding, though, the different circumstances that we all have in life. Maybe you actually, like you said, maybe you like X, but like Y, you're like, no, 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 no. Actually, this is not, I'm miserable every time I do this. And then there's this idea that, okay, I'm miserable, but maybe if I keep pushing and pushing, what it's fine, just push through. And you don't have to do that. But we have, as a society, been conditioned to think that there is a way to, to do things. And even if it's the it's, new way, it's, it's still a way. There. You could just, and you can buy it for $19.99 a month, no contract. It's like, you know, when you really think about it, I think like the people that we tend to admire most have not eradicated um, their inclination to compare themselves to other people, right? Like, but some of the most successful people, I think, are the ones who use their energy thoughtfully because they realize that comparing themselves or, or trying to be more like that person or, be a better blah, 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 isn't, what's the word I want to say? Uh, you know, actually uses more energy than it, than it generates. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, yes. And I think I, I recall from our last conversation, even thinking about like what success actually looks like and celebrating what success looks like for individuals who have actually just, they've really dialed into what is success for them personally. So mm-hmm. You know, maybe there is an example of a person who loves the work that they do, but they shut off happily and, you know, and don't necessarily bring home work. They make sure to fill their cup up in the ways that are important to them, whether that's travel or whether it's reading or whether it's walking or whether it's watching Netflix on the couch or whatever it is. They have good, strong relationships at work whatever those might be, whether they are a leader, whether they're an IC, they have good personal relationships that they feel very solid and strong with, and they have a good relationship with themselves. And 
the reason I kind of walk through all of that is because there's still these ideas that you have, regardless of where we've come, there's still the idea that you have to keep growing. You have to keep climbing a ladder of some sort. And you're like, well, where is that ladder going? Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you figure it out what that is means to you, you can continue to grow in a million different directions. It just doesn't necessarily mean that, well, you have to be the CFO or the CEO, or you have to lead a team, or you have to 10x your company. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe you're like, no, success for me is this balance, this this balance that I found that I've created that is so individual. Like that to me, that is your yeah, I think previous, right. I think what, at least the, the community that I sort of, you know, was raised in, um, and I, that includes my earliest jobs and, and things like that. 100% like always just kept moving the goalposts. And that's, yeah. you know, that's learning. That is, those are the fundamentals of learning and development and change. So on some level, it's helpful. Yeah. On another level, when it stops being enjoyable or your receptivity to new things almost decreases because you're so daunted by the task of the goalposts always moving, that's when we start actually being less productive, less influential, and less content or less fulfilled. So it's like we have to kind of recognize what our relationship is, what our emotional relationship is with those moving goalposts, knowing that like we're always going to be doing some new things. We always need to stay on the, you know, the leading edge of what's happening in our industry if it interests us or the leading edge of, um, you know, ways of working if that's what interests you or mm-hmm. the leading edge of whatever. We naturally are wired to learn constantly, but there is a version of you know, sort of self-management and moderation that we have to kind of take care of so that we don't get kind of fully hijacked by that drive to be the next best and better and better and better. The reason I think this is really important in particular, and I love what you said about like, you know, any, any, at any level of an organization, um, is that, well, a couple of things come to mind. One, people who are really good at managing their relationship with work, defining success on their own terms, not, not necessarily falling prey to burnout. People love working with them because Mm -hmm. working with them is really clear and understood. And people kind of admire that they always have capacity. They're not on the brink of anything, you know, that kind of thing. So it doesn't matter whether you have a C in front of your title or not. Those practices and those boundaries and that self-discipline and that self-awareness can make anybody a really compelling professional that people want to work with. So I think there's a great benefit, not just to the individual, but to their ecosystem and the people who work alongside them. Yeah, for you uh, to look at their, you look at, look at how, what have they done? Why, how do they show up? How do they approach work and all those things? And something you said, which is about like the practices that they do actually sort of leads me into this part about ritual, <laughs> which, you know, um, we're taking a, a bit of a left turn over here, but I think that what, when you started talking about this, these individuals and you're like, you really enjoy working with them and it's very clear and they have found this approach to work and life that really works for them. I think there's a lot that they have done introspectively, right? To get to that point, of course. Um, and they have practices and rituals that help them show up every single day. And 
Now, when I ritual, I mean, whether you call it ritual or you call it this or whatever you whatever you want to might want to call it, there are these things that we do to help us um, walk into work and mm-hmm. perform successfully, and then there are rituals we have to leave work and let it kind of simmer for the day. And those sorts of things, as you might be going through this practice of what conditioning do I need to let go of? What are the things I need to let go of? And what are the things I need to carry through? Um, rituals is a part of that that you also reflect on. And what are the things that you actually help you get through, you through your day? And so when you were talking about the practices, I really was like, oh, okay, I want to ask her more about this. I want to chat a little bit about like when you talk about practices that, you know, this individual that you love working with might do, what might that look like? Or what are rituals and why is it, what, what is, why is it so important? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think like, well, we talked a little bit about, you know, defining, defining your own definition of success, which is sort of, is this like cognitive effort, like, right? Like yeah. what is this going to, what, what in theory are the choices that I want to make? But it's a quite another thing to turn it into like behaviors and habits, like Practice. back, practices, practices, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what we understand about behavior change is, well, we know a lot of things about behavior change that we, you know, previous generations, I'm going to go on a, out on a limb and say like that my parents weren't really thinking about was like, it's one thing to say you're going to stop doing something, but actually just creating a vacuum, a behavior vacuum of, I'm going to let go of that. I'm not going to do that anymore is not the way, is, it's actually very hard to do. The, hu- the human mind doesn't like just like stopping, right? Like habits are form synapses in our minds. And so just saying, we're like, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. It's a very hard thing to do. So the important uh, pairing is creating sort of new, small behavioral choices that will fill the void in a way that serves us, right? So I'm not going to do this anymore, but I am going to start doing a little bit more of this. And so I think that's kind of where ritual comes in and how people can sort of design practices or rituals that support them. Because their behavior change or their evolution as a professional, as a, as a you know, a, a happier worker, but also a more humane leader, are going to come from the fact that they aren't just forcing behavior change, they're nurturing it, right? And so it's in themselves and it's on their team. So it's not just about stopping something. It's about, if I'm going to stop this, what do I want to, what benevolent or positive serving practice do I want to replace it with? So I think that's an important distinction. And the other thing is to start really simple and small. There's a great book by B.J. Fogg, who's a professor out of Stanford, called Tiny Habits. I just think the title is charming. But what we also know is like rituals don't have to be big gestures, you know, like what how we change the way we show up at work does not need to be a huge sort of like, and now I I run meetings like this, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can actually be small and it's more likely to stick if that new sort of benevolent self-serving behavior is very small. And the third thing I think that's important to think about in terms of positive behavior change for, you know, individuals or leaders of teams is that actual practices are comforting, right? They're comforting to you as an individual and they're comforting to the people who engage with you on a regular basis. That's not to say that our rituals or practices need to be identical, but that like, oh, this is the way that person works or, oh, recognizing, oh, that's their preference or this is how they they show up or this is what they do. These are their strengths. This is what they do. Like I recognize their patterns, I guess, is like, oh, another way of putting it. So when we create our rituals, we're essentially forming new habits, new patterns. That's comforting to us. It can be comforting to those around us. 
And there, there's a really phenomenal podcast uh, episode by Lori Santos. It was actually, I think, like two, one to two years ago. And it was called The Power of a Made-Up Ritual, which I just loved. And it always makes me laugh when I think of the title because all rituals are made up. But when we commit to starting a new behavior, creating a new pattern or practice or ritual, we do so somewhat arbitrarily, right? We're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I think I'm going to try this now. I like to call them like running little experiments. But they are incredibly comforting and they start to be little anchors in our days. So for someone who's really battling burnout, the answer is not to be like, well, I guess I should just quit my job, right? That's not a terminate behavior or don't show up to work, then I'll be happier. Usually it's about redesigning the way you work. There's a lot of flexibility in how that can look. It can start small. We can work, work our way out of burnout by implementing tiny practices. And those things might become just grounding moments in our days that help us feel a little bit more in control, a little bit more like our authentic selves. And they are just, you know, they're just comforting made up practices. And it's okay to sort of invent those for ourselves, whether that is going for, I know this sounds, this. I feel like a thousand people say this, but it's sort of like go for a walk. Mm-hmm. It does great internet memes being like, if one more person tells me to go for a walk. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Well, it's, um, it, it's, it's completely true, but it's that's with anything. We love yeah. to do things. And we're like, oh, I saw this really, really cool thing on TikTok. And then all of a sudden, it's like everyone is like, this is the way you have to do things now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like the new breakthrough is go for a walk. The new yeah. breakthrough is sleep 16 hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like... But this habit can be, or the practice or ritual that grounds you might be as simple as standing outside for five minutes. It might be as simple as, actually, I had a mentor years ago who said in between her client sessions, she would lay on the floor, like just flat on the floor. And I was like, what? I do that. Actually, I can just imagine people saying like, well, I can't lay on the floor in my office. But actually, you know, with the way we work today, maybe that's available to more people than it used to be. Maybe they're working from home. You know, that that's an option. I've also heard other people say that like whether it's a meditation exercise or whether it is, you know, 10 minutes scratching your dog. These sort of like pauses in our day that are not work-related. It is not our brain functioning in overdrive. It is not the sort of like input, input, input mode. They can do a lot to ground us and help us gain perspective. Mm -hmm. What I think is amazing about all of these things and the idea of making tiny habits is that over time, if you have lots of little tiny habits, that changes I mean, those those things change your life. If you start, I mean, if you literally, I mean, I have a cup. If you have a cup and you start pouring it, t- just a drop in every single day, well, over time, you're going to have a full cup. Um, and I say that because if we think about everything that we've talked about, about conditioning, deciding what you're going to carry through and what you're going to let go of, or deciding how you want to define your own success— those little tiny habits, those little rituals over time might actually inform, help you let go of, of conditioning and also inform what success does look like to you. And actually realizing that, wow, look at her all, look at, look at my day now. Look at my day. Um, because I stand outside for five minutes 
every day. And that really helps ground me. And then I'm able to show up for whoever and myself, whoever it is that's important in your life and also very importantly yourself um, better. And this is what's helped me. The example you gave about like laying on the floor. So I used to do this. I realized um, every day after work, I worked in the city and I lived in the city and obviously it was really loud and everything. And so I would come home and I would lay down on the floor for 15 minutes every day. I didn't even realize I started doing it, but I did. But so when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, yes, I love that one. But when if someone's like, well, I can't lay down on the floor for in my office or whatever, you're like, okay, but maybe what can you do instead? Like, how do you adapt that for you individually? Because that, once again, if you go back to like everything we talked about, is that like individual approach rather than this is the hot new trend. Everyone must do it. It is going to be life changing. You must lay on the floor. Every, uh, between every meeting. <laughs> yeah, between every meeting. So yeah. these like little rituals, these little habits, I think they're so thoughtful and so important and it's much more achievable as opposed yeah. to once again being like, well, now you need to wake up at 5 a.m. every day and be like, cool, I set my alarm for 5 a.m. every day for the next forever. Um, and then, you know, potentially setting up yourself up for failure. It's like, okay, actually, I'm going to try this small little thing today where... Uh, you know what? I I have a break. I'm gonna go make myself a cup of tea, and I'm gonna enjoy that. And that's it. And that's like your one little ritual you're gonna try or habit you're gonna try today, because I look at that as you're actually starting to set a boundary too. Yeah, um, and I, know, I think one of the ways that this again, I always like think about how like how individual behaviors can benefit everyone in their orbit. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can reset your sort of energetic baseline. You are likely to be less reactive in your next meeting, less reactive with your team, and frankly, like less, less reactive to headlines in the news about what's going on in your industry. I think the more we can not come from a place of reactive fear of like, oh my gosh, what's the next thing? Or, oh my gosh, what do I need to do next? Or, oh my gosh, can I even, will I even succeed at this thing? I think we've got enough messages around anxiety and fear that sometimes the most radical thing that a, a driven professional can do is just take a couple ritualist, ritualized moments to reset their nervous system, you know, yeah. based on their energetic baseline. Um, one of the things we also know, and I think this is super important, um, just a little bit of science around like why it affects our team, why it benefits our teams and why it benefits our organizations is because like emotional contagion is a real thing, right? So if a leader walks into a room or a manager walks into a room, frankly, anybody walks into a room and they're kind of at their wits end and they are like, one more meeting, I can't believe my day is fully blocked or I can't even get to this really important thing or, you know, X, Y, and Z, the list goes on. It influences the success of whatever is going to happen next. It just does, right? Like we've all been in that room where someone walks in and we're all like, <laughs> yeah, it's so like, no, you're, you're so right. I mean, and that, I think that in itself, that over time, you know, creating these kind of more healthy practices that will also inform the next generation of leaders too. So yeah, I mean, and actually everything that we just spoke about, you can see how they actually just integrate back into the beginning of our conversation and each, uh, it completely like how, you know, how important each and every part of your ritual, each and every part of your practice and your work as an individual 
creates new conditioning over over the course right. of over right. the course of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. And I think like the one of the things that I'm particularly interested in right now is you know we're, there's all this noise about like um, AI, right? And Chat GPT and all these other you know the rise of artificial intelligence and how it might change work. And one of the things that I think is particularly salient right now for rising leaders, ambitious professionals, or just anyone who's trying to re-level set and restore humanity, their experience of work, is that like the more technology shows up and participates in our experience of work, the more these humane behaviors will be needed to build connection, like lead positive change, have people trust one another and want to work together to create new solutions. All that higher level thinking that requires that social emotional intelligence and collaboration mm-hmm. that's going to be so much more important as technology continues to participate in work. Mm-hmm. And so developing these practices, becoming that positive influence because you know how to manage yourself and you know what success looks like for you. You're maybe not hijacked by fear or hijacked by comparison. You know exactly what you're here to do and how you're going to do it. That creates a safe space for other people to be more human and do it at the same time and do that higher level work that is going to really move the needle um, as as the substance of work and the technology and all that stuff just continues to change. So I think these stabilizing factors, these more human practices are, are going to become increasingly relevant, actually, as we embrace technology more and more. I love that. But I think actually... So wonderful place for us to wrap up this conversation um, because it helps inform us of really how important the work is for us to do internally. (laughs) And so anyone who's listening to this conversation, I think there's so much you can take from this at an individual level, but also just looking into, you know, again, the future of work. So well, I could go on and on with you. We'll have to do that again, I think, at, at yet, another time, at yet another time. But I have so appreciated our time just going through and even looking at like the arc of where our conversation started, of starting with the conditioning, actually going through and understanding what are behaviors that we need to let go of, what we want to bring forward into our futures, but also into the futures of the people that we're working with. How our individual small changes can impact our daily lives. Very small at first, but then over time, really impact us personally, but then that energy that we bring into the room. And then how all of this work will truly help inform, influence, and impact our future of work and how important this work is that we need to continue to do for ourselves for the future. And for our present now, too. You know, obviously, there's a lot it will impact in our present, too. So I'm so thankful for our conversation. And I'm like, I never wanted to stop. But um, I have one more question for you before we go, which is we've talked about rituals. We've talked about all these things that we can do. What is, what's one thing that you do that's just just for you? <laughs> whether it's self-care, whether, whether it's a walk, whether whatever it is, what is something that's just for you? Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I landed on probably in the last couple of years, um, informed by where I live, which is just a beautiful part of the country, was I gain the I gain the greatest benefit, that sort of reset grounding benefit when I'm outside. 
And so one of the things that I have actually implemented is I have blocked time in my calendar that literally just says outside. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it shows up multiple times a week at different times of day. And it isn't like go for a walk. It can be anything, but I just need to be outside. Oh, and I want so, to try that. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. right, a TikTok trend, but like, I just, I, right. that. I want to try well, that. I, I, what, I, what I discovered was when I got really specific that I needed to do a certain thing, it was almost more burdensome. But when I sort of picked a value of mine, a core value of mine that sort of felt very generative and, and supportive of me, of just being outside, that to me was like, oh, pick anything in this category and it's worthwhile. So it might be a walk with my dog. It might be sitting in the sun. Um, it might be walking between meetings as opposed to sort of, and like giving myself a few extra minutes, that kind of thing. Um, riding my bike between places as opposed to driving in the car. But like that sense of being outside. Yeah. Uh, is sort of the the banner under which I choose my rituals. <laughs> yeah. And I like that, you know, there's low expectation. You can change it, you can adapt it. And and I think that's all, what I'm all about is I'm always about making things very adaptable and and something that you can approach each day. So, oh, thank you for sharing that so much. And thank you so much for your time today. I'm so excited that we've finally got to do this too. Um, <laughs> and just... You know, I'll link uh, a few different, like the book that you mentioned, the podcast. So I'll link your website oh, yeah. too, so that listeners can can also check everything out. Um, and yeah, thank thank you so much again. For, oh, for this is so fun. I could probably noodle on all of this stuff for a lot longer. Yeah, but I appreciate your <laughs> I appreciate your eloquent summary so much. Because I think we, you know, we meandered off across quite a terrain. Uh, quite a bit. Yes, quite a bit. Yeah, no, for sure. I really enjoyed it. So thank you again. Thank you to our listeners. And until next time, I'm Hannah. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for tuning in today. Make sure that you press the subscribe button and follow Stop Blaming Avocados on Instagram for upcoming episodes, sneak peeks, and more. 